Good morning all, James chapter 4 this morning. Glad you can make it with us here on a very chilly morning. Uh, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to finish up James chapter 4 and uh, at least breach the subject of James chapter 5 a little bit. When I was listening to some teachings on James 4 here, pastor had a term that I really liked that I'm going to steal from him. He used the phrase, sins of presumption. Sins of presumption for what's going on in this section of scripture. The first idea of not speaking evil of people, one presumes to know the thoughts, intents, and motives of others, which leads them to speak evil of them. That's verses 11 and 12. One presumes to know what is best for their life, which leads to the sin of self-planning. That's verses 13 through 17. And then one presumes that the goal of life is personal happiness, which leads to selfishness and money and motives. That's the beginning of chapter 5, which we'll probably get to next week, but we'll at least breach the subject here. But the sins of presumption, we presume these things, we apply these things, and it gets us into trouble. Let's read through this. Verse 11, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now that you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. The first idea that we mentioned, the presumption of speaking ill of one another. Speaking evil of another. This is such a simple point. This is what makes it so difficult. Please note the order of how we got to this. You know, James chapter 3 tells us about the danger of the tongue. How the tongue is evil. This leads to pride. Wars and fights, we covered that last week at the beginning of James chapter 4, which then leads to speaking evil openly of others. There's no way to get around this. Verse 11, do not speak evil of one another. Do not means do not. Speaking evil is a sign of spiritual immaturity, according to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2. He talks about how the false prophets spoke evil of things they do not understand. We live in a society today where everybody just wants to share their opinion. And it's just constant out there. We may not fully grasp or understand the scenario or the situation or the people, but I have an opinion on it, and I'm going to share that opinion. And generally, that opinion becomes speaking evil of someone. It's a sign of spiritual maturity to go speak evil of people. You know, Titus tells us even straightforwardly in Titus 3, verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men, to be speaking evil of No one. In case you're wondering what no one represents, I made a small list. Bosses, politicians, pastors, doctors, waitresses, drivers in other cars, coaches, athletes, parents, siblings, and in-laws. That's just to get you started. (laughs) Speak evil of no one. No one. Please note the context of the writing of this book of James. James is probably one of the earliest books that were written. We know from James chapter 1, verse 1, it says, "...to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad." That takes us back to Acts chapter 8. If you remember correctly, uh, Stephen was just stoned. And it says in Acts chapter 8, Now Saul was consenting to his death, that was Stephen's death. At that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered 
throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. We believe that they were scattered at this time, but probably James was written. So James, when he says, speak evil of no one, the group that is receiving this letter has a lot of evil people that they can talk about. And he says, no, speak evil of no one. Why is it wrong? Because when we speak evil of someone, we become a mind reader. We're discerning their heart. We're discerning their motives. We can't know someone's true motives. Oh, but I have learned over the years that I've been out here what people have told me. And I say, you, you can't know what they're thinking. Oh, pastor, I know. I'm always right on these things. They'll say, well, let's just see what happens and you'll see I'm right. Hey, listen, here, here's the truth. You may be right. You might have pegged them, but you're still not allowed to speak evil of them. Now, at that point, someone generally says, I'm not speaking evil, I'm speaking truth. But Ephesians tells us we're supposed to speak truth with love. Listen, Proverbs is all for speaking truth, but you're supposed to speak truth in love and gentleness with the goal of edification. Sometimes the truth will cut. Sometimes the truth will hurt. But you got to check your motives to stop and say, am I speaking evil of this person? And am I just hiding it under the umbrella of truth? Speak evil of no one. So therefore, say nothing. Just don't say anything about anybody then. No, the Bible says there's discernment. Discernment is biblical. Judgment is not. We're supposed to discern when we speak to people, but we're not supposed to judge them and speak evil of them. I'll give you an example. Let's say we hire another pastor out here at church. We must use discernment on that choice. So if we come to you and say, we'd like you to introduce to you our new pastor, Pastor Fred, and this is his wife Susie and his other wife Becky. Now, some of you say, no, 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 don't judge. What do you mean don't judge? The Bible says don't judge, speak evil of no one. How dare you speak ill or evil of Pastor Fred and his two wives, Susie and Becky? No, I am supposed to use discernment. And as I use discernment, I'm supposed to use that discernment to be able to stop and say certain things are wrong. If I call somebody out and say, listen, you're going out and you're a drunk, that's not speaking evil of them. That's speaking truth. And we discern that it's wrong and we need to step in and love and help you and tell you it's wrong. There are certain things in life that it's just wrong. Stealing is wrong. So how dare you judge me? I'm not judging you. I'm discerning your actions are wrong because they're not biblically based and I'm allowed to speak truth in that situation with the goal of edifying you and helping you and loving you. But what James is talking about here is speaking evil of people and expressing thoughts and opinions about them that we may not know anything about. It creeps into so many different layers of life. He could speak evil of somebody on a Sunday afternoon watching football. We speak evil of that coach that obviously has no clue what he's doing. How did he get a job in the NFL? We speak evil of bosses that we've never met. We go into work and we realize that the higher-ups obviously have no clue what they're doing. We start speaking evil of them. We speak evil of a neighbor that maybe we don't know, we've never met. There's such a danger in doing this. And the law tells us not to do it. So what James is saying here, if you judge the law, you're not doer of the law, but a judge. He's saying this, when you speak evil of someone, you're actually judging the law because God's word says, don't speak evil of people. Since God's law says not to do it, and therefore you are doing it, you are judging God's law and saying it's wrong. That's a very dangerous place to be, is to say, God, your rules are wrong and I'm allowed to speak evil of someone. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 makes it even clearer. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Judge nothing before the time. Yes, be discerning. Yes, use godly wisdom. That is our litmus test, if you will, to know right from wrong. But ultimately, I cannot know someone's hearts or motives in any way whatsoever. And for me to speak evil of them is to be wrong and to judge God's law and to tell God's law that it is wrong. And he stresses this in verse 12 at the end. Who are you to judge one another? That idea of you is in the emphatic position, means he's emphasizing this. It literally is saying, you, who are you that you should judge one another? Ah, Lord, help us not to speak evil of someone and make the presumption that we know what's really going on in motives and thoughts and intentions. And carrying this idea of presumption, it takes us to verses 13 through 17. God's will. Now, a few weeks ago in James chapter 3, we at least breached the subject of knowing God's wisdom for our lives. And we talked about how that was a much general teaching. And now we said we were going to get into the specific of God's will in verses 13 through 17. And that's what we're going to do here now, is to get into specific situations to know God's will and plan for our lives. Now, I ask you this. Please let this point be developed fully before you start making any conclusions. It's going to take us a while to work through this. And if you kind of stop halfway through... You're not going to get the full picture of it, and you're going to probably not fully see all the scriptures that we're going to tie together here to make this point clearly. Because it's become such a little catchphrase. If the Lord wills, sometimes we just throw it out there. It's almost become a Christian cliche. Now, if you are meaning it sincerely, then amen. And I know some people, I believe, really mean it sincerely. They say, hey, I'll see you next Sunday if the Lord wills. Because we really don't know what's going to happen this week. This may be our last Sunday together. But if it just becomes this little phrase that we throw out there, there's a danger in that. Do we truly mean if God wills, if God is leading, if God allows it, then it's not a cliche, but it's really something very serious that shows a total dependence on God. Let's reread these verses and we'll break it down. 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, and excuse me, does not do it, to him it is sin. Very simply put, all decisions should go through the filter of God's will. To make a decision not based on the Lord's will and biblical perspective is wrong. Verse 16 but now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Too often, decisions are based off of non-eternal motives and non-eternal results. Take a look at verse 13. Buy, sell, make a profit. They're not making the decision based on worship, evangelize, glorify God. These are the carrots that the world dangles in front of you. Buy, sell, make a profit. And we make decisions based on that rather than the eternal perspective of what is right and what is good. We make the decisions based on our time frame. Verse 13, we'll spend a year there. I'm going to determine where my time goes and where I'm going to live and what I'm going to do based on rather the Lord's will. What does this look like? Sometimes it can look like this. Well, I'm going to work this long from this job, and then I'm going to retire. I'm going to go to school for this long, and then I'm going to graduate. We're going to date for this long, then get engaged for this long, and then we're going to get married. 
Now, those things all may be good. Those things all may be God's will. But did you pray about it? Did you seek the Lord on it? Did you confirm with him? Because look at verse 16. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. There's an arrogance and a boasting and stopping and saying, I'm going to make the plan. Now we have to pause real quick. Is it wrong to plan? It's not wrong to plan in any way whatsoever. Now the teaching this morning is not on planning, so just bear with me. This is very quick. Proverbs chapter 6 tells me the ants plan. The ants store up food. So if the ants are wise enough to make a plan, I should make a plan. Joseph in Egypt, if you remember correctly, he had seven good years followed by seven bad years. During the seven good years, he set aside for the seven bad years. He planned. Jesus tells us in the Gospels to count the cost of the tower before you build it. Make a plan. Planning done with biblical wisdom under the sovereignty of God and humbleness for his glory is very, very good. Planning done with earthly wisdom under my power and my pride for my glory is very, very bad. Once again, planning done with biblical wisdom under the sovereignty of God and humbleness for his glory is very good. The Bible is not against planning. The Bible is against us making our plans because why? Verse 14, we're a vapor. Depending on your translation, a morning mist, a morning fog. You know, we live in northwest Ohio where it's not uncommon to have to have a school delay, possibly a school cancellation, and then by 11, 11.30, it's perfectly bright and clear. The morning fog, the morning mist, the morning vapor disappears. This is what it's trying to tell us here. There's over 25 references in the book of Job alone to us being a shadow or a breath. We are nothing. Nothing. We're sitting here this morning and we're breathing. And as that breath comes in, as that breath exhaled, we don't think about that breath anymore. It moves on. It's just nothing to us. And God says we're just a breath. We're just a shadow. We're nothing. We're a morning vapor, mist, fog. Who are we to plan anything? We need to allow the Lord to choose, to root us, to plant us, to plan for us. Oswald Chambers has a lot of neat points on this, and I've kind of pieced some of them together. Bear with me. Oswald Chambers says, if you select your own spot to be planted, you will prove yourself to be an unproductive, empty pod. However, if you allow God to plant you, you will bear much fruit. Don't choose your own spot to be planted. Allow the Lord to root you where you should be. He goes on to say, if we remember that all the trees of the earth are marked for the woodman's axe, we'll not be so ready to build our nest in them. If every tree is going to be fallen, why would I build a nest in that tree that's going to fall? I am a tree that's going to be knocked down. I'm going to die. Who am I to plan anything? He says we should get into the habit of continually seeking his counsel on everything. Instead of making our own common sense decisions, then asking God to bless them. How often have we run into that? We make a decision based on our common sense, and this is really, really good. God, bless it now, please. So why don't we? Why don't I take the time and the energy to really pray through things? Well, to be honest, it's easier to not. We have these little catchphrases. I'm just going to go with my gut. I trust myself. I'm going to let my heart lead me, even though the Bible tells me the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? 
I'm going to have my council of friends. It's easier to send out a text to five people to say, what do you think? It's easier to get on Facebook. It's easier to get the wisdom of the world. Anybody in the medical field knows now that their job is pointless because you just get online and the internet will diagnose every disease you have. We have all this wisdom available to us, and so therefore I do not need the Lord because I have my gut, my heart, my friends, and the wisdom of the world, and Google. So therefore I don't need any of this. Therefore, the job that I'm looking at has more pay, better hours, bigger office, better vacation time, better chance of advancement. This is what the world would call a no-brainer. And that may be true. It's not necessarily wrong. The Lord may lead you to that job that has more pay, better hours, bigger office, better vacation time, better chance of advancement. But I tell you this, as a morning mist, vapor, fog, what does the Lord say? Take the time. Ask him. Pray about it. Don't make the decision and then day one of the new job say, Lord, bless me here. It doesn't work that way. I repeat what Oswald Chambers says. Common sense covered with a layer of Christian emotion becomes your guide. How often does common sense with a little bit of Bible become my guide? No, the Lord leads us. Have you not noticed, I've noticed in my life that when I start making decisions on my own, God seems to almost have, for lack of a better word, a bit of fun and upsetting the plans that I've made when I don't take them into account. I put myself into circumstances that were not chosen by God, and suddenly I realize I've made plans without Him. I didn't even consider Him. I just made the decision. And here's the deal we desire a plan, we like stability. I got one of my boys that loves a plan, he lives off a plan. I tell him on a regular basis, do not get your peace from a plan. Get your peace from the Lord. He's the one that says, okay, so we're going to start the movie at this time, and then we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. Does that sound good? Okay, right? He likes every I dotted, every T crossed, so he knows exactly what's going on. God repeatedly says in the Bible to trust him for every moment of the day. As a believer, can I ever really know what my final calling on this world will be. Can I ever truly know that I am retired? Can I ever really know that this is where I'm going to live the rest of my years? Can I ever really know that I'm going to have kids? I'm going to have grandkids. That's the plans of man. There is no absolute assurance of tomorrow. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. We make the assumption we'll come together next week. We have this wonderful bulletin that we will share of all these upcoming announcements that may never happen. This may be the last Sunday that we're all together in this room. There is no assurance of tomorrow. I am a morning vapor, mist, fog. I need to learn to pray, fast, seek him for decisions, all through the lens of the Bible. Now, this is where I'm asking you to stay and listen to the whole thing. This leads to a couple thoughts. First thought, does this mean all the times in the past when I didn't seek him, I was wrong. Does this mean all the times in the past when I didn't seek the Lord, I was wrong? The simple answer is yes. Okay, so what do I do now? How about a simple prayer of Lord? Sorry for letting my flesh and my wisdom lead me instead of you. So let's just confess and repent and say, Lord, I made decisions without you. I walked in my own common sense wisdom and I realize I'm wrong now. And so therefore, Lord, I I'm not going to do that. Confess and repent. But this leads us to a second question. But if it was me making the decision, 
why did it work out? I mean, if I'm this morning fog, mist, vapor, and I made the decision to take that job without praying, it's really been a really good job. I bought that house without really thinking about the Lord, and it's been a great blessing. How did it work out then if I made all these decisions without him and it kind of didn't really go that bad for me? How about you thank the Lord for his grace? You know, when your child was learning to walk, did you not watch over them even when they were on their own? Did you not follow them around with pillows waiting for them to fall so that way you can catch them, helping them, keeping them from falling? God has done the same with us. There has been many, many decisions I have made in the flesh with little or no prayer, and God did indeed bless it. And I am absolutely thankful for it. Was I right to make that decision on my own? No, but God is a God of grace. And for many of us, we were raised in church, and we were making decisions to an extent maybe subconsciously through Christian morals that we were raised in. So thank the Lord for the influence of the Holy Spirit even when we didn't realize it. So now we have to say, okay, let's take this all together. I shouldn't be making decisions on my own. I have made decisions on my own in the past, and God did bless it because God is a God of grace, and I realize that. So now, Lord, I need to make all decisions through you. So every decision goes through God, correct? Yes. To what extreme? Did any of you pray over the socks that you're wearing this morning? That's about the most extreme example I could think of. Did anybody pray over those? The socks that I'm choosing. Did you pray over the last time you went through the drive-thru at McDonald's on what you were supposed to order? If you start going to this extreme of the socks that I'm wearing and things that I'm doing, you will become a dog chasing your tail. All of a sudden, it goes to this extreme of this. I wake up in the morning... Is it God's will for me to get up? Lord, am I allowed to shut off my alarm? Lord, am I I allowed to put my glasses on? Am I allowed to make a decision on my own? Or if every decision goes through you, Lord, then I have to stop and say, okay, before I even get out of bed, I have to pray to make sure it's okay. I have to pray it's okay to shut the alarm off. I have to pray to make sure that it's okay for me to put my glasses on. I have to pray through all this because I am a morning mist, fog, vapor. You will be so paralyzed By prayer and decisions, you will never take a step forward in your walk with Christ. So how are we supposed to find the biblical balance of this? Can you go with me to Romans 12? There is a biblical balance to these decisions. Romans 12, please. Take a look at Romans 12. Start in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Stop right there. First point. I am not my own. I have given myself completely, utterly over to the Lord. I am a living sacrifice. He is everything. Every decision goes through him. I trust him on every decision. I seek him on every decision. And it would be wrong for me to stop and say, Lord, that I've given my life completely over to you, but... I'm going to make these decisions on my own. So now we're back to, Lord, I have to pray for my socks. And I have to pray if I'm allowed to get up. And I have to pray if it's okay to put on my glasses. But then there's verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now we get to how we can do this. My mind becomes renewed in my relationship with Christ Jesus. So therefore, since I am born again and saved, and I've given my life completely over to him, verse 1 is a living sacrifice, my mind is now renewed, and I can, verse 2, prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I can prove, I can approve, I can discern God's will. I don't have to pray over every decision because I am so close with Christ that I can discern his will and I can prove and approve things based on me being a living sacrifice and my mind being renewed to be like Christ. Let me give you an example, back to our example of socks. Do I have to pray over my socks? No. But we just said we have to pray over every decision. Yeah, but let me make my point. I don't have to pray over what socks I'm wearing. Why? Because I don't have any socks that are ungodly. I don't have any socks that would disqualify me from ministry. I don't have any socks that will hurt my witness. So therefore I can discern that I can wear most any pair of socks I own. Because I'm not disqualifying myself from ministry. I'm not wearing anything ungodly or unholy that are hurting my witness. So therefore my mind has been renewed to stop and say, Lord, this decision does not hurt my walk, my ministry or anything. So therefore I can wear those socks Pet peeve, they have to match, though. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. I know it's very popular now to wear socks that don't match. I don't get that. God bless you, you're wrong. But for me, I need to wear socks that match. Take this a step further. The outfit that you are wearing. Did you pray over what you were wearing today before you came to church? I'm going to assume that most of us did not. Should we be praying over our outfits? To be quite honest, some of you should. Questions that come up. Is this outfit immodest, then I shouldn't wear it. Is it bringing attention to myself? Then I can discern that that's not good. Is it puffing me up with pride? Then it's wrong. Is it, is it a hope that people compliment me and look at me? Then I can discern it's wrong. I don't have to pray about it, but if my goal and my motives and my intention is to bring attention to myself, to be immodest, to be wrong, then my mind has been renewed to know that this is not what God's plan is. Now, just think about this. Through being in the Word, through being in prayer, through being in worship, you start to discern God's will. You know what's right and you know what's wrong. Dawn and I have been married for over 25 years. I know whatever restaurant, fast food we go through, I know what she's going to want from that restaurant. I know it because I've been around her and I can discern. So therefore, if I would go, I know what to order and what not to order. I am around the Lord enough in prayer, worship, word, and fasting that I can discern where the Lord is leading. It means I don't have to pray over everything because I'm in constant communication and prayer with him to say, Lord, lead me in all ways. So let's take this another step further. What about certain things in life? How about getting up in the morning, one of the examples we used? Do I have to pray if I'm allowed to get out of bed? No. Psalm 119 already answers it for you. I rise before the dawning of the day. What about getting to work? Do I have to pray every morning, Lord, should I go to work today? Probably not, because Thessalonians tells me that Paul said, if you don't work, you don't eat, and you're supposed to go to work. Do I need to get up every Sunday morning and pray whether I should go to church? No, Psalms and Hebrews has already answered that for you. Go to church. Some decisions are in the Bible already made for us, and so therefore I do not have to pray over them. There are some decisions that are biblically wrong. You don't have to pray over it. It is just wrong. 
So therefore, I can discern that the Lord is leading and by me giving my body over to him as a living sacrifice, my mind is renewed and so I can test and approve what God's will is, which means I don't have to pray over every decision because I'm already in constant communication with him. The point is this, by walking with the Lord in prayer and word and worship, you know him. You know what he wants. You'll know what will glorify him. So therefore, you can stop. And you can stop and say, I know what the Lord would lead. Let's go even now deeper. Let's say we're talking about a dating relationship. Okay, well, guess what? He's not saved. He's not a believer. He's not interested in God. You can discern that's not a good choice. Entertainment choices. That song, that movie is full of worldly, ungodly behavior that is celebrated, that's shameful. Then it's not a good choice. I can discern that by being in the Word and being in prayer. Okay, but let's get to the big decisions. House. Job. You know, I found for me, the more I'm emotionally invested in something, the more I yearn for it, the more I'm deceived by what I perceive as God's will. Those big decisions, I have to step back and really pray. Because I really, really want to move there. I really, really want a different job. I really, really want that worldly toy. Then I really, really need to step back. Remember, I'm a vapor, and i got to check my motives. Remember the words we've already talked about here in uh, James chapter 4. Buy, sell, profit. Those are very strong temptations. Spend a year there, it said. That's my time. Boasting, he says. Well, this makes me look better, so therefore I want it. Do I have to pray about my socks? No. I don't have anything ungodly when it comes to my socks. Do I need to pray about house and job? You bet I do. Because there's many times that my flesh, my emotion will overtake me and lead me down paths that my flesh wants rather than what the Lord's will is. Now just remember, as we reach a season of graduations, vacations, summer trips, please remember you are a vapor, a morning fog, a mist, and if the Lord wills, how often has a young person chose a college with little or no prayer? Vacations are planned with little or no prayer. Now, it may go well. Thank the Lord that he is a God of grace. But this teaching is showing us who am I to plan anything. Let it just become part of your vernacular. That as a vapor, that's just something that, that I, I say sometimes. As a vapor, this is what I think. I'm already establishing. I realize I'm a morning mist fog that's nothing. And it reminds me that I am nothing. And I'm here to serve God in whatever way he calls me wherever it may be. And so, Lord, help us to make all decisions through your lens. Now, this leads to a couple final points. What do I do now that I see I made a decision in the flesh that's come back to bite me? I made that decision. I did not pray over it. I made a financial decision. I made a life decision. I made a job decision. And it has come back to bite me, and I realize now I made that in my wisdom and not the Lord's. Honestly, some problems can be fixed, and some problems can't be fixed. God is good, God is gracious, and he can work good out of it, Romans 8, 28. But sometimes for us to, quote-unquote, fix the problem, it's going to be more hard than what we think. Can you go with me to 2 Chronicles 25? I like to find Old Testament examples of the things that we're teaching on. Paul said in Corinthians that uh, these people from the Old Testament were given to us as examples of what to do and what not to do. Here's an example through the Old Testament of a king that made a choice that was not good and the consequences of it. 
2 Chronicles 25. The king is Amaziah. Now, real quick history lesson here for about 30 seconds. If you remember correctly, the Jewish kingdom was united under Saul, David, and Solomon. The, the, uh, the kingdom split under Solomon into what we now know as Israel and then Judah. Judah was two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and Israel were the other northern tribes. Sometimes they got along, sometimes they fought. It went back and forth over hundreds of years. So at this point in 2 Chronicles, the kingdom has been split. So we have Judah on the south and we have Israel on the north. Verse 5, Amaziah is the king of Judah. Verse 5, Amaziah, therefore, moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. So he has his army. They also basically under, uh, hired 100,000 mercenaries, if you will, soldiers for hire from Israel. Verse 7, But a man of God came to him, saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has the power to help you and to overthrow. So he, the man of God comes and says, Don't do this. This is not God's plan. Amaziah comes back in verse 9. Then Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? I've invested in these guys. I paid for this. I booked the vacation. I told the boss I'm leaving. I told the other boss I'm coming. I've already said yes. I can't waste this money. I can't lose this. And the man of God answered, verse 9, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Amaziah, can you trust this? Can you trust the Lord? Can you, can you cut ties with what you know is not good or godly, the decision that you made in the flesh that is not good? Can you cut ties with that? 10. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. And sometimes the result of it is going to be anger. But you will be right in the eyes of the Lord. You'll be right in biblical doctrine. You'll be right in walking with truth. And you have to trust the end of verse 9. The Lord is able to give you much more than this. By making the right decision, even though it's harder, it will bless you in the long run because it is the right decision, biblically speaking. One last example, and then we're done. Can you go with me to Luke chapter 12? If time would permit, it would be nice to take um, Luke 12 here, verse 13, and tie it into the teaching on finances for next week, but time does not allow us to get into the finances today. But Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 shows us the world making decisions. Verse 13 of Luke 12. And one from the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? You see the emphasis there, money. Divide the inheritance. We're back to James chapter 4. Buy, sell, make a profit. That's what drives us so often. Verse 15, and he said to him, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Once again, how often have decisions been made that most benefit us? But the quick little Lord, bless this, please, because this is really good for me. It's not about what we have. 16, then he spoke a parable to them, saying the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. 
And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll build, I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I'll store all my crops and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now we've gone to this passage many times over the years. So you guys know a lot of these points. Look at the emphasis of verse 18. I will do this. I will pull down my barns. I will store up all my crops and goods. There's a lot of I will in there. This is a, a morning fog, mist, vapor, planning and making decisions, saying, I will. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go to college. This is who I'm going to marry. This is where I'm going to work. This is where I'm going to build my house. This is all I'm going to do. With the most literal not seeking God on it. Or maybe with just a tiny bit of seeking God. But I made a good decision because verse 19, and I will say to my soul, we're talking to ourselves. Back to 17. And he thought within himself. We've joked out here many times before, the most dangerous person for you to talk to is yourself. You always think you have a good idea. Godly wisdom, godly counsel, biblical counsel, biblical wisdom. If I just sit and make the decision with myself, it will probably lead me down a path I shouldn't go. Be dangerous. Be so, so careful of the danger of thinking within yourself, verse 17, and speaking to yourself, verse 19. And making those decisions based on your pros, cons list of what you believe is best. 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Once again, the assumption, the arrogance of James 4, the boasting of life. Verse 19, I have many years left. So this is where I'm going to retire. This is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to live. And this is how long I'm going to live there for. If the Lord wills. Did we pray about it? Did we seek the Lord? Did we ask him? Are we making decisions based on comfort, ease, weather, jobs, money, finances, looks? 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. We have no guarantee of anything. I am a morning fog, mist, vapor. I need to run all decisions by the Lord and his wisdom and not in my wisdom. But I'm also thankful of according to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, when I give my life over to him as a living sacrifice, he will renew my mind so I can test and approve what God's will is, so I can stop and say, Lord, I have been with you. I know you have studied this out. This is how you want me to handle this. And it's not that I'm not praying about it. I've spent so much time with him in prayer and word before that when that decision pops up, I already know what he'd want me to do because I've given myself over to him. This is a very practical lesson that can be very difficult to put into practice. Please remember, it's not against planning. Proverbs 6, the ant planned, Joseph planned in Egypt, Jesus said, count the cost of the tower. Planning done with biblical wisdom under the sovereignty of God and humbleness for his glory is very, very good. But planning done with earthly wisdom under my own power and my pride for my glory is very, very bad. Let us learn to seek the Lord in all things. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you now, may we truly seek you in all ways and all things. Thank you for your grace and mercy that has been over us in the years past and the decisions we made. You are good and do good. But from this point forward, may we truly stop and say we want to seek you in all ways and all things. And Lord, please help us not to speak evil of anyone for our good and your glory in your name. Amen. All right, real quick here in way of announcements. New or daily breads, 
are back there. I know some of you have been asking. We're a couple weeks into March, but they're back there. Feel free to grab them. If you're watching at home and you want one sent to you, contact us. We will get one sent to you. Take those. Don't be afraid to hand those out. A lot of different activities going on. We're getting into a season here of activities. Prayerfully consider getting involved with those things you feel led to get involved with. Today, after church, Youth Fellowship Fun Day. Uh, heading back to the fellowship hall, going to do dodgeball, but Tony always does a great job of making sure there's a great spiritual element to it. So bring a scripture written down. Uh, talks about being a good friend, being a good sport, good character, and we're going to have a great spiritual time with that as well. But dodgeball also back in the fellowship hall. This is open to all ages back there, so come back and be blessed. Coming up March 23rd, coming up here in just a couple weeks, we're having Ephraim Goldstein from Chosen People Ministries uh, pastors a church over in Israel. He's a Messianic Jew. He will be coming out on the Wednesday service on March 23rd, and he's going to come share what the Lord is doing in Israel and just give a good update on that. And uh, that's a wonderful blessing. Ephraim's been out here many times before. He did a Seder meal with us a couple years ago. Good to have him back. Coming up March 27th, two weeks from today, 10 a.m., Donut Fellowship time in between the services. So either come to the first service, stick around, or come early to the second service and come back to the fellowship hall. That's going to be at 10 o'clock back there on the 27th. And we're also planning a baptism service upcoming. We have some people that want to get baptized. So therefore, if you'd like to get baptized, please come see me. We'll be doing it in the foyer like we did last time. It'll be a wonderful time. And if you're ready to take that public step in your walk in relationship with Christ, we would love to see you get baptized. A lot of times this leads to questions. I was baptized as a baby. Should I be baptized as an adult? I was baptized years ago. I fell away from the faith. Should I be rebaptized? If you have any questions about it, please come see me. We'd love to talk to you about it. But if the Lord is uh, speaking to your heart when this is being announced, I highly encourage you to prayerfully consider the baptism service. Um, you can see the small groups going on there as well throughout the week. Prayerfully consider getting involved with some of those men's groups or ladies' groups. Hey, you guys have a good week. God bless. Lord willing, we will see you next Sunday. Until then, take care. You guys have a good week and God bless.